What I try to encourage people to do is to talk about issues, not about candidates. That's the first thing. Do we want programs that are going to help our houseless people? Of course we do. Do we want well-funded schools? Of course we do. But we don't talk about, oh, well, you have to vote for Jerry because Jerry's the one who's going to take care of the well-funded schools. We let people take that extra step on their own. Welcome to the East Anchorage Book Club Podcast. I'm your host, Andrew Gray. Today on the show, the newly elected settled minister for the Anchorage Unitarian Universalist Fellowship, Reverend Lisa Adams Sherry. We discuss her background, what led her to become a minister, and what the Unitarian Universalist Fellowship is. Reverend Lisa Adams Sherry, welcome to the podcast. Thank you so much. It's good to see you, Andrew, as always. So you are the, I don't want to say elected, the newly settled, the new settled minister. That's what you voted for. Oh, I'm exposing your thing already. Do you want to say that part? Oh, that's okay. Yes. Full disclosure. (laughs) I am a member of the Anchorage Unitarian Universalist Fellowship. And uh, Reverend Lisa Adams Sherry is the settled minister at the Anchorage Unitarian Universalist Fellowship. So in other words, we know each other. We do. (laughs) Um, And uh, for shorthand is we consider this UU. Correct. Yes. Let's talk a little bit about what Unitarian Universalism is. Can you just give us a brief thumbnail sketch of what Unitarian Universalism is? Sure. So um, we started from Christian Judeo roots. We have a lot of questioners and some would say cynical folks, and it's been that way for a couple of centuries. People really wanting to get at the truth and the transcendent things in religion. And so from there, um, from this Christian Judeo roots, it's expanded. Um, The transcendentalists were some of the ones to do this. They brought in Eastern religions and nature as religion and where someone would find God. Um, And it's expanded. We have Folks who are informed from Buddhism, um, pagans, religion, um, all kinds of different things. So what I say people now is that we find our truths with a small T in many places, many different religions, pluralities, and we welcome folks who have life-affirming views that are open to other views and open to loving people and accepting them where they are on their journey. And just out of my own curiosity to remind me, and we, I've been taught to say you, you, as opposed to Unitarian, to not leave out the universalist part. Can you explain the universalist part? Sure. The universalists were historically, they kept their um, Christian um, underpinnings, underpinnings, thank you, um, longer. And they looked at God as a loving God and that God was not going to damn people for, um, for wrongs that they did. And basically that everyone should get multiple chances, you know, as long as you're coming to it with sincerity and you're trying to make amends, well then, yeah, come on back into the covenant, so to speak, this agreement that we have with all the people around us that we care for and love, and let's just keep trying to get better together. Let's talk a little bit about <laughs> your background and how you ended up as a Unitarian Universalist minister. Um, where did you grow up? I grew up from age four in a small town called Monmouth in Oregon. Um, and I grew up with fairly progressive parents. 
Um, I was born in 65, so my parents definitely weren't, you know, the make love, not war mm-hmm. kind of things, people, but they were, um, they were more progressive. Um, and went to church with my family when I was little, in part because I wanted to. It was a bond I had with my grandmother because I really liked church and just the community. And so my parents took me when I asked them to. And, and what religion was she? Um, she was United Methodist. Um, and so, yeah, mostly with my dad, I'd go to church to a Protestant liberal church wherever he had friends or he liked the minister's message. And, um, and the thing that I kept running into, even though I loved the sacredness and quite frankly, hymns were some of my favorite part. I love to sing, (laughs) um, the theology of the Trinity and some of the things that it seemed like people just took for granted as being true. That was hard for me. Um, as I talked to more people, I found out that, oh no, we don't believe all that stuff either, but I guess I was a little more literal then. And so I kept searching and I found Unitarian Universalism, which is not just Christian anymore. You know, it opens itself to Buddhism and all these things, as we talked about a moment ago. And just the fact that we're always asking questions. And that's one of the things that we joke about is that, you know, we're more about asking questions and finding the answers, which can be hard for some people because some people, you know, they want it black and white, but we are not that way. Well, a common criticism that I hear is, well, then what do you believe? Right. You know, what are the beliefs? Right. And I say, that's why when I say we're open to a variety of beliefs, I say, as long as it's life affirming, because we always get those questions. Oh, so can Nazis be (laughs) you use if you can believe anything you want? And well, no, because they're not about that love and that acceptance and trying to make the world a better place for everyone. Well, we have the seven principles. We have those, right. Um, And we have an eighth possibly on the way. So these are principles that um, were rewritten late 80s, early 90s. And they're things like the inherent worth and dignity of every person, acceptance, encouragement to spiritual growth. Um, The last one is the interdependent web of all existence, of which we all are a part, which is really, I love that one. The fourth one is one of my favorites too, which is, a free and responsible search for truth and meaning. And then the eighth one that we've been talking about is really trying to make explicit our belief that all people, no matter their color, are equal and should not be oppressed and that we're working to change this oppressive society that we live in. Well, and part of that, too, is also making it explicit for LGBTQ folks Mm -hmm. as well. Mm -hmm. I mean, this is, I think more geared towards people of color and especially with all of the police killings that have happened. And, uh, it's just, well, the world is what it is. Um, but then those things that we've done all along, like some of the LGBT, um, supporting rights, we can put that in there too. So you eventually came to you, you. Oh yeah. Sorry. Uh, this is funny. Um, yeah. So I came to you, you, I started attending in Vancouver, British Columbia when we were up there for my husband's grad school or down there, I guess I should say now, since we're in Anchorage. Like what stage of life were you in? Did you have children? Were you- um, we had one kiddo who was a little over a year old. So I was just like 30. 
Mm-hmm. Um, and as we're driving in, we're looking for places to live. And there on the corner of 49th and Oak was the Unitarian Church of Vancouver. And I'd always been curious. And I went in and um, when we moved and Nelson and I were the last people at coffee hour with two of the greeters who were also about our age. And they were telling us every single bad UU joke they knew. And it was just, it was awesome. Yeah. So you started going in Vancouver. Yep. Did you know right away that you're like, not only do I like this place, but I would like to be a minister? I knew that I liked this place. The ministry part came a little later. And what made that Um, A bunch of stuff. I think the biggest thing is that my mom and dad died in quick succession to each other. And it just really made me think about what I wanted from life and what my goals really were. Um, and I'd always been in terms of religion, I'd always been curious and kind of, you know, a big picture question asker. And this seemed to be a place that I could do that with others, as well as also maybe help people get over the baggage that was stopping them from doing what they were doing. Because that was part of the thing with my parents died. I had a very loving family and it's not like they were pressuring me to do kinds of stuff, but as a recovering people pleaser, it was like, okay, am I doing these things for my family or for myself? So I just wanted to help people step into their authenticity. Yeah, no, I can relate to that. I, I lost my dad a few years ago and I think there's, um, there is a journey that people have to go on when your whole life, every accomplishment has been, let me call my dad. (laughs) So I can get his affirmation that you did a good job. And all of a sudden I'm like, well, who do I tell? Yeah. Yeah. Hello, everybody. I'm Corey Coolidge, and I make this podcast listenable. Usually I'm interrupting right about now to tell everybody to recommend the East Anchorage Book Club podcast to a friend. But today I also would like to say that we did two different recordings, two different places where we uh, did this podcast. And so the audio is going to sound a little different coming up. And I just didn't want it to feel jarring. So with that said, here's the rest of the podcast. You enrolled to become a minister? Or, I mean, did you just you were considering it? Or how did that happen? I had an epiphany. Um, I went to a Unitarian Universalist district meeting. And I joke that it might have been because it was the first time I was away from my children in a while, but Mm. I was just floating that entire weekend. And it was, I just wanted to help people love one another. And I remember feeling somewhat embarrassed about that because it was, um, it sounded like born again. Mm -hmm. And you could say that, but born again with a different kind of philosophy than we normally think mm-hmm. of. What brought you to Anchorage? Um, I had had um, a rough time at the previous place where I was serving as a settled minister and um, been going through a tough time personally with my stepdad living with us because he needed lots of care and some other family stuff. And it just turned out to not be a good fit there. Um, it was in Massachusetts and they invited this exuberant person from the West who liked to dance in the aisles to be (laughs) at a new England congregation. It was kind of like, be careful what you wish for. (laughs) So I took a year off and, um, had planned to go into a settled search but just hadn't been ready for it. And um, 
in Unitarian Universalism, the way that we look for ministers, it's kind of on this calendar plan. And after a certain point, if people, if congregations haven't found a minister, then they can go through an abbreviated second search that year or find an interim minister or a contract minister. And Anchorage popped up. And um, my husband was born in Sitka, and he loves, loves, loves Alaska. We spent our summer up here before we got married working at Denali National Park. And so in the back of my mind, I always knew I was going to need to spend a winter up here. Mm -hmm. And I was worried about that because of the lights and all the snow and the cold. I like snow and I like cold, but maybe not as much as I thought up here, but that has changed for me. Anyway... So I was like, this is perfect. I can go be a contract minister for a year. Nelson can have his winter in Alaska, and we'll each go on our own ways. And then we really decided we liked each other. So here I am. So what about the Anchorage Unitarian Universalist Fellowship was different or better than your previous experiences? Um, I think it's, it's definitely a better fit for me. Um, like personality-wise? Yes. And people here, at least in our congregation, seem to be very much what you see is what you get. Um, there's a lot of grace involved. A lot of, oh, you made a mistake. Oh, well, let's try again. You know, maybe we'll do better. Maybe we'll learn from it. As opposed to, oh, you made a mistake. Mm -hmm. <laughs> um, I love the way that this congregation is willing to try to do new things. Um the creative creativity that I've seen, like for instance, from our religious exploration program for children and youth has been just wonderful during this pandemic time. And apparently the congregation, because this happened before I got here, went from in-person services to Zoom in about a week. Mm -hmm. So lots of quick turns and flexibility and laughter. I grew up in a small town in Texas, a very religious family. Um, I wanted my child to have an experience that sort of paralleled mine, but I didn't want it to be in a rigid religious environment. So, and I don't think I'm the only one. I think there are many parents out there who would love their child to be exposed to a variety of religious traditions, to kind of understand what Sunday school is without uh, that feeling of being indoctrinated which is kind of how I felt growing mm -hmm, up. Mm -hmm. So I'm glad you brought RE up. Yeah, no, a lot of people come because they were raised a certain way and they want their child to have the stability in the community mm -hmm. that a congregation can provide, but with more freedom of thought. Mm -hmm. And it's it, this just reminded me, when we moved back to Monmouth, Oregon, um, which is where I grew up after we lived in Vancouver. Um, my kids went to some of the same schools that I did there. And my youngest started in second grade. And you know how they put kids' tables in groups, and he was in a group of four. And he came home and he's telling me about his day, and he was talking about how all of the kids in his group of four were Christians. And I was like, how did you even get on that? And he couldn't remember, but they were, you know, the way a little kid's self-important. Well, I'm a Christian. Well, so am I. And I said, well, what did you say? And he said, I didn't say anything. And he said, I said, you didn't tell him that we go to the UU church. And he's like, nope. And, you know, it was only a month or so in. And we were in 
this little small town that had gotten much more conservative since I was, you know, because I grew up there in the 70s. Mm-hmm. So um, it's really important to our children to be able to have that kind of grounding, I think. It doesn't have to be in Christianity, or but just to be able to talk church or talk fellowship sometimes. And I think also it's important because when you might get into the particular beliefs that each congregation or church or temple believes in, but then I have found anyway that when you find out some of the things that we all do, we have potlucks, we care about our neighbors, you know, um, we try to make the world a better place. Sometimes Mm -hmm. we have different ideas of what that means. But in the big picture, there's a lot of commonality. Well, I would say the big difference, as somebody who grew up in sort of an evangelical tradition, Mm -hmm. is that evangelicals believe that the most important thing that they can do to help their neighbor is to save them from eternal damnation. Right. So their community service is to try to save their neighbor. And I would say that Sometimes I think a weakness of being part of a faith tradition that's very good at listening to all sides is that we're not able to speak with the authority and conviction that somebody who believes that they have the one and only truth can. And I think that humans are attracted to certainty, to authority, to quote, I'm making my little quote saying, the truth. Right, with a capital T. With a capital T. (laughs) Does UU have any specific writings or teachings about reproductive? Yeah, we have this great program. I was thinking you're going straight for the abortion stuff. (laughs) I'm like, do we have a canon on that? Um, no, we have this great, 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 we, we created it with the, um, United Church of Christ and it's called OWL our whole lives and it's age appropriate sexuality classes. And we have them for kindergarten and first graders where it's like, these are my body parts and we teach them the proper names and don't touch me in my swimming suit area. And if you do, then I need to go tell another trusted adult. We have um, late grade school when kids are just starting to get their, you know, puberty's getting on. They're like, what's going on? And middle school and a high school class and an adult class. And in each of these things, as I said, it's age appropriate. All my children went through it. I'm a trained owl teacher for middle school and high school. And it's about peer pressure. It's about STDs or STIs. We keep changing what we call them. Um, it's about birth control, how to talk to your boyfriend or girlfriend if you're going to have sex. And if you can't talk to him about it, then probably you shouldn't be having sex. Um, All kinds of wonderful tools. And the classes are long, like the middle school class, which was the first one that was created. It's like 27 hour and a half long sessions. So I think that's interesting because I'm going to make some generalizations. Okay. (laughs) That a lot of the far-right movement to criminalize abortion also tends to go hand-in-hand with a movement to take sex education out of schools to keep this sexual 
education from children, which ironically results in teenagers who don't understand their bodies and don't know, some don't know what makes a baby. Yeah. And so it's a little bit uh, paradoxical. Well, they're afraid of knowledge. They're afraid that just because you know something, you're going to go and do it. It's like people who are afraid to have gay folks be parents because mm -hmm. the children will only see a gay couple. So mm -hmm. what other, you know, models or forms will they be able to be or do? Right. Um, or people who think that, oh, well, if they know about birth control, well, they're going to go out and use it and try it. And well, some of them will because they are ready. Mm -hmm. And some of them will be like, no way, keep it away. <laughs> There's one of the books is great. Um, and I can't remember the name of the author right now, but, um, it has lots of cartoon characters and it is for the upper grade school. And there's a little bird and there's a little bee who are having like these little conversations as you turn the pages of the mm -hmm. book. And one of them is just like, Oh, this is so cool. And did you know this? And the other one is like, Oh no, don't tell me, don't tell me. So even as they're going through the book, they're trying to normalize that kids will be into learning about their sexuality in different ways and at different ages. And whatever your stage is, it's okay. But just learning the information, I mean, I'm trying to think of some, you know, just because I watch a Julia Child thing doesn't mean I want to go out and write a cookbook and spend all my days mm -hmm. cooking French food. <laughs> right. Um, so I want to talk a little bit maybe an uncomfortable topic, but I'm going to go there, that we try to keep politics out of religion, or we say there's a separation of church and state in, in our country, but certain congregations tend to be on one side of the political divide. I think it would be safe to say that our congregation is on one side of the political divide. How do you navigate that? And, or what does that mean to you? What do, can you talk a little bit about politics and being a minister mm -hmm. of a very politically active congregation? I definitely, I can. And it is slightly different from congregation to congregation because where I served in Massachusetts, we had some folks who were much more conservative, not everybody by a long shot. But, um, so what I try to encourage people to do is to talk about issues, not about candidates. That's the first thing. Um, do we want programs that are going to help our houseless people? Of course we do. Do we want well-funded schools? Of course we do. But we don't talk about, oh, well, you have to vote for Jerry because Jerry's the one who's going to take care of the well-funded schools. We let people take that extra step on their own. And that's definitely um, what we try to do. One of the things that we've done in our forum recently is we've invited um, the top tier of the people that are running for governor to come in and talk, but we're not just asking the progressives. We mm -hmm. sent an invitation out to like about seven of the top tier candidates and said, you're welcome to come in. We would love to hear you. And some of them responded and some of them did not. And some of them confirmed that they would be there and no showed. That's true too. <laughs> <laughs> 
<laughs> but we're not talking specific candidates, right. Andrew. Right. Yes. <laughs> so the last question that we ask of all of our guests, I'm kind of springing this on you. Okay. Is to recommend a book. Oh, that's right. Is there a book that you could recommend to our listeners? Actually, you know what I want to do, but I'm not going to remember the name of it. I can Google it for you. It's the joy happiness book between, um, Desmond Tutu and the Dalai Lama. I love that book. It is the book of joy. Yes. By the Dalai Lama and Archbishop Desmond, Desmond Tutu. Tutu. Yep. With Douglas Abrams. Yes. And it's just two men from different backgrounds where they come together and giggling together and just their big picture and the long view because there's, um, it's not a book, but it's saying it's Julian of Norwich, who was this Christian woman back in the Middle Ages. And one of the things that she is credited with saying is, all will be well, all will be well, and all manner of things will be well. And I think they provide that long view of that as well. And it's something that I hang on to a lot, especially in these days. Well, Reverend Lisa Adams-Sherry, thank you so much for being on the podcast today. It's my pleasure, Andrew. Thanks. Big thanks to Corey Coolidge for making this podcast listenable. And thank you to you, our listeners. If you like what you heard, please subscribe, rate, and review us. Next week, Executive Director of Alaskans for Better Elections, Jason Grin, will be discussing ranked choice voting. Please tune in. Please tune in.